brought to you by SOCOM Athlete. Cindy. I should never quit. To quit. To shred it. To give up. It's a fail. To be a recon marine. It's just a past failure. To overcome. To adapt. To do whatever it takes to complete the mission. On the battlefield as in all areas of my life. I shall stand a public competition. To professional pride, integrity, and teamwork. I shall be an example for all marines to emulate. Never shall I forget the principles I accepted to become a recon marine. Honor, perseverance, spirit, and heart. Thanks for tuning in. America's number one resource for special operations preparation. Here with you is host, Jason Sweet. Ready! Ready! Move out! Seats! Seats! Thanks for tuning in to SOCOM Athletes Podcast. Send me. This is your host, Jason Sweet, and I'm joined with three very special guests tonight. All three of them are instructors at the Recon Training Center. We have Staff Sergeant Ryan Burke, Chief Dave Reinhardt, and Master Sergeant Bobby Ristaino. And I want to start off with Chief Dave Reinhardt. Um, he actually reached out to us on Instagram and uh, invited us to come on over to the Recon Training Center, check out what they're doing, uh, see a little bit about what we're doing in SOCOM Athlete. It was an absolute blast to be a part of this guy's community for a little bit, see how they conduct training at the Recon Training Center. All SARC personnel, so that is Special Amphibious Reconnaissance Corpsmen, also go through the Recon Training Center. So they have to go through basic reconnaissance course as well. And if you want to be a SARC, you are going to have to get through Chief Reinhardt. So without further ado, I'd like to bring on Chief Reinhardt. Introduce yourself. Thanks for coming on the podcast, my man. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for coming on. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Dave. So uh, I'm going on 18 years in the Navy. Uh, joined in 2002, August uh, of 2002, right after 9-11, um, but uh, aspired to always be an FMF uh, corpsman. A corpsman is a medic for the, the Marines, and um, had a long path to get there, but uh, it was very rewarding amongst that, like uh, going through um, being a deckhand or a deck seaman on a ship, uh, and then like rising up through the ranks and the billets, and then actually becoming a corpsman, um, and then doing a, a back-to-back tour in Iraq and then that's when I met reconnaissance Marines and reconnaissance corpsmen they were running circles around me with like medical knowledge and teaching me how to pack my med bag before I went to Ramadi and uh, that's where and what I wanted to be aspired to be uh, because those guys are just like the next level Uh, upon getting back from Iraq in 2008 I went straight to the basic reconnaissance course uh, 12-week course in uh, Camp Pendleton California and uh, it was just 12 weeks of just straight carnage. Um, How many guys you, you start with? Roughly about 70. Uh, 70 is like maybe the max, maybe a little bit over that. It just depends on uh, the time of the year as well as like uh, instructor to student uh, ratio. It just depends. Um, but um, how many graduated, if this, that's the next question, it's like less than 30 or around 30. Uh, it's, it's rough. But uh, the corpsman which uh, Navy by tradecraft and everything like that, you're a sailor going into this training with the Marines. um, You're one of one usually, and uh, you're very like slim ratio stacking up against them. And it's it's just rough uh, all around. So that's just assessment selection. So once you pass uh, basic constant course, that's not the end of it. So you have to go to all your insertion schools, uh, such as, uh, Army Basic Airborne, uh, Dive School, Marine Combatant Diver School, and Panama City. Dave, real, real quick, um, what is it, and I know we got to get into the intros of the other gentlemen here, but 
What is it like being a Navy guy going to a Marine Corps selection? Like, how are you expected to act? Are you in the spotlight? Are guys judging you all the time? Should you be like the badass on your team? How, how does that work being a Navy guy coming in? I think it's all encompassing of all of that, right? You are, you're coming from a different walk of life. You're coming from the outside. You have not been through Marine Corps boot camp. And so they, one, expect you to have a little bit of maturity about you. And two, you're just different because it's not that you're wearing, you're wearing the same uniform as they are, but it's like, you're just different. Like you have a little bit of a different like swagger right. about yourself. Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, but you have to be in tune with everyone's personalities. So it's, uh, cause you're the medic, you're the doctor. Thanks, Dave. And Dave, I want to come back to you. Um, I want to get the other intros in, but I want to come back to you and ask you a little bit more about Sark because this has got to be one of the most unknown career fields in the Navy, maybe one of the Navy's best-kept secrets. There's not a whole lot of people that know about it. So we're going to come back to you, Dave. Um, I want to bring on Master Sergeant uh, Bobby Restaino, great friend of mine, uh, incredible human being, great instructor. And uh, Bobby, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing now, my man. Thanks for coming on the podcast, brother. Jason, thanks for uh, having me back again. Uh, I'm sure some of you guys have heard my voice before, uh, maybe seen me on the on the little screen on your computer or your phone. Um, all right, so I'll run it down once again. So I, I joined in uh, 2000. I was uh, a little bit before the war kicked off. I joined as a uh, as a machine gunner. I, I went in and I, I wanted to do anything that I could do that I couldn't do in the real world. And my recruiter said. Uh, uh, how about the infantry? And and I knew nothing about it. So I said, yeah, let's do the infantry. Once I got through the uh, the training at School of Infantry, School of Infantry West uh, in Camp Pendleton, um, they looked at my scores and I became a machine gunner. Bobby, was that like an honor to, to be a machine gunner? Like you had to have a good scores for it? or Yeah, so so they at the time they would, they would split everybody up and you would either become uh, a machine gunner, a mortarman, uh, a tow gunner, um, and, and those were all guys that had higher GT scores. And how, how old were you at the time? I was 20 at the time. So I came in a little late. I did, uh, I did construction for a couple of years and then, uh, and then came in the Marine Corps. Great. So Bobby, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your career as a machine gunner before you went into recon? Definitely. It was very short lived, uh, because of recon. So, uh, so I got to, uh, Fox two, eight, uh, right after, uh, <laughs> Ryan's rooting right so now. So I see Ryan rooting. Yeah. Ryan, were you on uh, Fox 28? Fox 28, first platoon, first squad, baby. Yeah. So got got over there. I was in weapons platoon and uh, showed up there. And within six months, I was on a deployment, uh, which was super fast. And uh, on that deployment as a machine gunner, you know, the war wasn't going on at that time. So we were floating around the Mediterranean, training with other countries, things like that. Um, how, how were these Mediterranean deployments? Were they pretty awesome or what? You well, guys like it or were you just jobbing war, out the whole time? Before the war, they were incredible. It was, you know, 40 different countries in Europe and you're stopping for a week here, two weeks there. I mean, it, just being able to travel the world and see different people and see different cultures and landscapes, uh, working with other militaries. It's just an, an incredible thing. Um, and you, you can't get that anywhere else. You know, unless you have millions of dollars. And, and Bobby, what actually got you into recon? How did right. you end up going that route? So let me let me give you a little little short story. This could be a long story, but I'm going to cut it. Hit us. So uh, so I was a smoker, right? 
when I first joined the Marine Corps, I was, I was a big smoker. So on the ship, there was a uh, the smoke deck. So on the side of the ship, they would have like this little deck, and you went out there and you smoked cigarettes. That was the only place you could smoke. And we're out there one day, and we were we were docked. I forget what country it was, but we were docked, and these guys ran across the dock and they were all wearing these little black shorts right i didn't know any better at the time little silkies huh? little, little silkies and i didn't know any better at the time but the at that time the only people that were allowed to wear black silkies were recon marines so that, these guys and they're jacked and all tatted up running by and i was like holy crap dude i who, need to do that who are those guys i knew right then and there whatever that was i i needed to become that and I went back to my platoon sergeant at the time, and I said, hey, I saw these guys. This is what they look like. Who is that? And he's like, that's Force Recon. And I was like, holy crap. How do I, how do I get there? You know? And, uh, you know, and he didn't know much about it because he was, he was just a regular grunt. And he's like, you got to take an in-dock. I don't know how it works, blah, blah, blah. So towards the end of the deployment, uh, a guy came by our birthing. So a birthing was a place that you lived on ship. It was like a room on ship. This guy comes in, big metal doors, and he's like, hey, anybody want to take the recon in doc? And I was like, this this is dreamy right now. Yeah, I'll do it. And I mean, had you had you swam before, Bobby? Like, were you prepared for I this? Was, you just I, go out there and crush it. I didn't know what it was. I, I had no idea what it was. Um, I didn't know what it entailed, if it was swimming or running or putting a ruck on. I had no idea. But I was like, that's what I want to do. Uh, but I'm, I'm a pretty good swimmer. My mom used to take me to the Y when I was like a really little kid. Uh, so I, Where'd you grow up, Bobby? I grew up in Jersey. And then when I was 14 years old, we moved to Las Vegas. So anyway, I took the Indoc. I did very well. Um, and then we did an oral. Um, we, we all sit down and they ask us, you know, why, why do you deserve to be a recon Marine and, and things like that. And, and I passed that and I went over and went to the recon school past that i'm not saying i i was number one by by any uh by anything but i made it and uh here i am today bobby tell us a little bit about your path to the recon training center and how you ended up there as an instructor and then ultimately becoming uh kind of more of a director role there tell us a little bit about that so i actually uh so the first time that i went there uh was in 2008 i was an instructor uh, jason you probably don't know this that's story. when i joined the military yeah. man old school <laughs> So, uh, so I actually, I worked at, uh, this is a kind of a, a good story too. So when I became a recon Marine, uh, ARS was still a thing, the amphibious reconnaissance school, which was in Fort story, Virginia, a uh, tiny little base in Fort story, Virginia. It's full of like, uh, logistics and motor T, uh, army. And we were the only Marines there at this little compound that was ARS and the student count was a lot lower than two. It was like 24. We're now, what are we doing now? Up to 75. Up to 75 now. So it's a lot larger now. Shoot, when you guys brought me over to the recon training center, there were 79 students that were there. And you guys were down to like 45 in two days. I mean, they were, it's a hard course. I mean, they were dropping like flies. So yes. do you, and, how, how do you think the new course, RTAP, it, it was called uh, BRPC when I was there. I think they changed it to RTAP recently. How do you think RTAP compares to... ARC. ARS? ARS, excuse me. It's a totally different animal, uh, Jason. It is, and it's better. The way I like to look at it is when, when I went to uh, ARS versus what, what there is now is the, the guys oh, are not learning anything. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so the guys are not, they're not only smarter, 
but they're strong too, you know? And uh, when I went through, they taught us things, but we didn't really, we didn't keep it. What I like to say is when you graduated ARS, you, you had a third ball, you know? Testicle. But nowadays, when you graduate, you know how to work radios and yeah, and all yeah. this all yeah. this stuff. I just knew like I could run forever, I could swim forever, I could carry around a lot of weight. But nowadays, guys are able to use radios, use cameras. Um, yeah, you know. So there's a there's a bit more technical training involved in the course. And, and what I noticed when you guys brought me out there, and thank you for having me out there, by the way, fellas, absolute honor. I noticed that in the prep course in particular. Uh, there was a lot of mentoring going on. So it wasn't necessarily like, hey, we want you to quit. It was like, hey, we want you to be a part of this family, but you got to earn it. And we're going to help you get there. We're going to work with you, but you got to earn it. And I thought that was pretty cool seeing how much you guys actually wanted these guys to succeed. Whereas maybe a course like Bud's or like some of these other courses, they're just trying to kick guys out. You guys want to see these guys succeed. And they're dropping like flies by all means, but you want to see them succeed. So I thought that was really impressive about the prep course or RTAP, as you guys call it now, was all the mentoring that was going on. You guys probably didn't get that in the olden days, no, did you? No, back in the day, there was, uh, there was RIP, which was the Recon Indoctrination Platoon. And that was at every uh, battalion, every recon battalion. And it was, RIP was, you know, somebody would knock on your door in the morning and be like, we're going for a run. And you didn't know how long that run was. And that guy would just, you know, take you out and make you a better runner. And then another guy will knock on your door three hours later and he'll be like, we're going swimming. And, you know, and that, that's how life was for until you went to school. Hey, thanks for that, Bobby. Um, we're going to come back to you, Bobby. We'll come back to you, Dave. But I want to go ahead and get uh, Staff Sergeant Ryan Burke on here, another great friend of mine. Um, Ryan Burke was uh, a, the proctor, for lack of better words, um, at the course whenever I was there, calling all the commands, running the course, and uh, Guy's a heck of an instructor, so it was an honor to have you out this weekend. Ryan, thanks for coming out to the Hell Day. And uh, if you wouldn't mind just telling these guys a little bit about yourself and uh, your background, your career, my man. Thanks for coming on the podcast, yeah, brother. Definitely, Jason. Thanks for having me here tonight on the podcast and uh, this weekend. It was, a, it was definitely a blast. Uh, so, like Jason said, name's Ryan Burke. Um, similar story to, uh, to Bobby. Um, I started out my Marine Corps career as a grunt, um, 0311. Uh, did four deployments as an 0311. Um, on my third deployment, I was a squad leader in Afghanistan, and uh, we were we were we were definitely doing some work out there, and it was a great time and everything like that. But something was missing. I couldn't put my finger on what was missing. Um, but on my third deployment, I just just like Bobby said, I met two recon marines, and the way they carried themselves, the way they operated, the way they conducted themselves was a different level and so i was like that's that's the type of dude i want to be and so i had an absolute blast being a squad leader and running and gunning in afghanistan uh as a grunt you're, you're over there it's like hey you guys see that area hey that's your area make it your own like own that area and we and we would own it and it was awesome um but something was missing um and what i figured out was it was the dudes is the the guys that the guys were different in the reconnaissance community because I worked with them. And right. What do you think was was different about these guys to you? What was different was the way they they carried themselves. They knew what they were doing at all times. The way they talked to senior ranking guys, like they look at, they'd look a senior ranking dude in the face and be like, "Yo, I'm not doing this." 
or look them in the face like, yo, I'm going to go do this. And they were just, their, their aggressiveness. They, they were independent. Yeah, they were independent, they were aggressive, and they were driven. There was, there was no question. If they said they were going to do something, they, they did it. And you weren't going to stop them, regardless of what, what obstacles you put in front of them. They did it. Ryan, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but at the Recon Training Center, BRC, a, a large portion of that course is water confidence training and prep to be a combatant diver. How did you feel you were in preparation for water confidence training? Was that like something that came natural for you or was that a struggle for you? Because that seems to be kind of the most unconventional thing for these students is anybody can do pull-ups, sit-ups, push-ups, and go and run, but not everybody knows how to survive whenever they don't have air to breathe. How did you feel that you were prepared for that? Well, I felt underprepared. I don't think there's any amount of preparation you really can do for the, the rigors of BRC. I grew up swimming just for fun, essentially. I, I never did, you know, a swim team or competition swimming or anything like that. I just grew up, you know, in the pools, in the in the lakes, in the rivers and everything like that. Um, so that was that was my my advantage. Is I just I was used to fighting currents and everything like that. But I never really had any real formal training to go into BRC. When I put my uh, package in to go to to recon. Uh, I went to RIP for about two months, and a couple of the reconnaissance marines there, they're like, hey, grab your camis, jump in the pool. And they worked with me a little bit. They they thrashed me, and they actually gave me a little bit of pointers on how to better my form and be successful. Um, but they, that's the only prep I had, really. And it, it was a blessing and a curse because... Um, I kind of knew what I was doing, but actually I had no idea. So I was I was listening to the instructors, listening to my peers, and on how they uh, how they were surviving. So Ryan, um, when I went to basic reconnaissance prep course, you were the guy in charge. Um, you were creating all the commands, um, telling the students what to do, uh, telling the instructors what to do. Uh, you were the guy. So I got to ask you, what are you looking for in these students? as an instructor what do you want to see out of them are you looking for you know selfless leaders are you looking for high physical performers all the above what are some of the things that you're looking for in particular from these students that can maybe they can prepare for to help them be more successful getting through the course well i'm always looking for uh physicalities like if a guy is strong awesome that's that's a check in the box but i can take i can take an 18 year old kid essentially an 18 year old man i can always make him stronger that's my job. I can make him stronger, right? But I can't change his mindset. Mindset is the main thing that we're looking for. Are you able to adapt? Are you are you able to overcome? And can you complete the mission? All while making sure that your boys are completing that mission also. So what I'm looking for is a strong mental attitude and the willingness to do the hard stuff. Not take the easy road. Take the hard road complete the mission that's that's what we're looking for in these candidates to to come through our course so ryan what would be like maybe an example um you have these students and they're doing all this so they got o course they got deep end card they got to do swimming in the pool they got the boneyard they're lunging uphill they're sprinting uphill they're tying knots they're doing all these different things what would be something in particular that you would be looking for characteristic-wise from these students when you talk about a mindset approach? Being confident, but not uh, shutting out people who are trying to help you. 
You might know how to run fast. You might know how to swim good. You might know how to tie knots well. But if you're not willing to listen to the instructors saying, hey, cool, you know how to tie a bowling. Let me show you how I tie it because it's faster and more efficient. If you're not willing to do that, then I don't want you. You're looking for guys that are coachable, that are willing to learn. 100%. Right, right. 100%. Now, um, what are you looking for when it comes to a leader going through the course? A lot of our students in SOCOM, Matthew, not the majority of them, but a lot of our students are either in the military now, prior service, reserve, cross-training, or something along those lines. Maybe they have their degree, they're going to be a little bit older. What's some advice that you can give to maybe a E4, E5, E6, or an officer that's going through your course? My best piece of advice is help the junior guys, but be willing to learn. Right? That's the main thing. So if I teach you how to do something, if you already know how to do it, great. Learn how we do it. And then turn around and help the individuals. I'm glad that you can get to the top of the mountain fast. Cool, bro. Congratulations. But can you turn around and lend a hand to help that dude get to that mountain also? Because in the end, like, yeah, we're, we're assessing you. We're selecting you and trying to figure out, are you here for a reason? But in the end, we all need to make sure that we all come home together. We all complete the mission. And we're all successful. Amen to that. I mean, it's it's like these guys want to prove to you as an instructor that they're somebody that you want to work with. And I think that would be the biggest goal. It's like, I got to prove to the instructor that I'm somebody they want to work with because chances are down the road, you guys aren't going to be down there instructing. You guys may be back on the teams and they may be operating with you guys. So that's the biggest thing for our listeners out there. You're training for special operations. You're going through selection. Make sure that you are focused on being that guy that these instructors want to work with someday. So I want to go back to uh, Chief Reinhardt real quick and talk about what a special amphibious reconnaissance corpsman is. And this is one of the Navy's best-kept secrets, and that's not on purpose, okay? We want more people to know about this incredible career field and what the Navy has to offer. Uh, but there's not a lot of whole people that know about it. And this is a long pipeline. But these guys come out of this pipeline highly trained, highly skilled, some of the best medics in the world. So I want Dave to talk not only about what a Sark is, but his unique path to becoming a Sark. I don't want to say start off at the bottom because a corpsman is a highly trained individual, but when it comes to the special operations medical world, Dave started at the bottom of the totem pole and worked his way up, worked his way up to where he's at now. Um, so Dave, would you mind telling us a little bit about your path to where you're at now, my man? Yeah, from uh, start point, like uh, August of uh, 2002. Yeah, so starting off was just like uh, lowest rank, uh, so E1 to uh, the shittiest fucking job, which is deck semen. Um, that is like low of the low. There's nothing uh, wrong with that, but like I had a very colorful uh, juvenile record you know, growing up. Um, but so I, all I wanted to be was a fucking Marine. And then uh, beyond that, when I realized uh, the Navy takes care of the Marines as far as medical providers, uh, I wanted to be FMF corpsman. Anyways, I had the long path, but joining the Navy, I had to be a deck seaman. Dave, real quick, what is the FMF corpsman for our listeners out Fleet Marine Force. Yeah. So these guys are working with... The Marine Corps, they're going out there in the field and they're actually patrolling with these guys. Yep. So this was probably what kind of led you onto your path, per se, to becoming a Sark, maybe? Getting exposure oh, to Yeah, there's a segue into it. Yeah, yeah, that's what uh, 
it opened up the, the doors and the opportunities to actually just be able to like cross paths with them and talk to them. So yeah. But uh, yeah, so like Long Road in the Navy, like we can completely bypass all that stuff is uh, chipping paint and like swapping decks. So it's not really glamorous at all. But it's- so, so Dave, you were actually on a ship for a pretty long time in the beginning of your career, right? Yeah, like you had to do like the real deal Navy thing, go yeah. out on the ship. Yeah, he's gray and underway. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's prison. People ask me, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, hey, what's it like being on a ship? It's like now being a chief in the Navy is, uh, I was like, you're going to learn some very valuable skills, like life skills, like prison, you know, like how to steal, how to barter, how to trade and everything like that. And maybe how to fight if you didn't, never knew how to fight before. But it was a good before. time in a way because those were the grunts of the Navy, the bosun's mates. So, Dave, I'm an Air Force guy, okay? The most time I spend on a vessel is at combat dive school, just jumping right off to get in the water. What's it like being on a ship for a long time, man? I heard it's, it's a tough lifestyle, man. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, like prison? I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I've never been in prison, but it's like... What, you got gangs in there or what, Dave? Tell, uh, tell us about it. Yeah, it's like, it's, uh, it, it turns into uh, the time machine. So it's like uh, you go into your rack and some, some days, if you have that ability to do that and like you just shut your curtains and you go to sleep for about a good day and then like you fast forward to the next day. But it's a lot of hard work. A lot, like you have to keep that place together. It's a floating vessel. It's a floating like duty station. And you have to keep it together and like everyone has a purpose there and it's it takes a village and if you don't do your job then it shows so dave you finished um your deployment you're doing fmf you're attached to the marine corps you come back i assume that you had an opportunity to assess in the sark community how'd you find out about it where was your opportunity talk to us it was a really great mentor of mine he was a senior chief that I met in Fallujah, Iraq, and I was brought to the compound of 3rd Reconnaissance uh, Battalion's uh, compound in Fallujah. It was a compound within, like, the Camp Fallujah. But meeting him, uh, he opened up his doors to me and just, like, telling me, like, a lot about the job and then, like, just mentoring me in a way that, like, I'd never been mentored in the Navy before. And uh, just talking to me of what it requires you to be in that, like, job field. Dave, real quick, um... Based on what I know of you, you're a great mentor, and you take a lot of pride in mentoring people. Uh, was was this man maybe somebody who inspired you to uh, to be a good mentor? Absolutely, yeah. I like reflect a lot on that that one person and uh, try to emulate, like, uh, or try to be his. Not necessarily like the exact same of him, but uh, he showed so much to me, like as a kid from nowhere, nobody from nowhere. And he, he took a chance on me and, like, told me what it takes to, like, do this job in a way. And he set out the career path for me. But he told me one thing that, like, sticks with me to this day. He's like, we will, like, guide you to the toolbox. We'll show you the tools on how to build it. He's like, but we're not going to build it for you. And if you ever discard us or not give it 110%, we'll discard you like a wet dish rag. And so I was like, yeah, I can work with that. It's funny you said that. I um, So when I tried out for the U of A football team, I got cut the first time. The second time I tried out, six months later, when I actually made the team, I'll never forget the words. Coach came up to me, and he goes, listen, if you don't give 110%, we're going to cut your ass as quick as we got you on this team. Yeah. And I said, roger that. Yeah. Roger that. That's business. That's business. It's business into the stick, and it's like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And instead of being like churching it up, it's like, hey, this is the best thing since sliced bread, blah, blah, and it's like, giving you some sort of glamour and or fluff to it. It's, it's fucking business. 
And it's like, that's what it takes to be in this fucking community. It really does. So, it's so Dave, uh, when it comes to, to mentoring, uh, this, this guy doesn't take time out of his day to take you under his wing. You probably don't even find out about this career field. And I mean, you, 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 have, you have mentored every incoming um, wannabe Sark for, for years now. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of guys. And you're not even there unless this guy takes you under his wing. So something that I want to challenge our listeners out there. I don't care if you're 16 years old, 17, 18, 37. Find somebody and mentor them. Find somebody and mentor them. Find a mentor. It's never too early to start learning how to coach, learning how to teach. If you start teaching, you will learn that skill twice as good as you ever learned it before. So here's a story of somebody who took Dave under his wing, spent some time on him, and now look at Dave. So never, never miss up the opportunity to mentor somebody. So Dave, go ahead, man. Please continue the story. Yeah, so after uh, meeting this uh, senior chief at the time, retired master chief, he had his junior Sarks like, come and like, uh, train me a little bit. I was in Fallujah, and I was being sent out to Ramadi. So, so you're in Fallujah. I mean, we're talking some of the some of the heaviest fighting. Man, you know, like that was 2007. So I was on the camp, and like what I was like required to do at that point in time, I was not with a, any type of grunt unit. I was a combat replacement, and that's where I'll tell you a little bit about the story. But I was doing administrative work, and uh, I knew I wanted to do something more. I really did. I was doing uh, casual reporting and sending it up to. Uh, the uh, second uh, Marine Expeditionary Force, or like, uh, yeah, second map, yeah. But my commander at that point in time knew that I was not fulfilling the role that I wanted to fulfill as that point in time with my rank and uh, job position. And so I went over and interviewed with uh, Recon. They taught me how to pack my bed bag. And then, like, next thing I know, I'm going out to Ramadi and replacing another corpsman out there that had got, like, picked up for the Army Warrant Officer uh, Flight School. To, to fly helicopters, and uh, he completed five months of his deployment, and I completed the rest of his seven. So I went out to the, the city of Ramadi, not the camp, and that was uh, it was harsh. That was like where I cut my teeth. Dave, I know I'm putting you on the spot Sorry. here. Um, can you tell us about maybe your first mission or any like memorable mission that you had over there, and, and maybe like when you got to actually use your your skills as a medic, as a Sark or as a like a regular FMF corpsman? Because I was FMF corpsman then. Like so, yeah. I, w- I want to hear his FMF. Yeah, comment. so like maybe the first one it was like a mass casualty. You know, a, a bunch of uh, it was our Iraqi village that got uh, yeah mortared, and uh, they just rolled into Camp Corregidor, like uh, along uh, MSR Mobile, I believe. And uh, so we were working with the army over there, and that's where I got my army uh, accommodation medal. But just handling these people, and then remembering everything that you went through in your school of just like trying to handle a patient, you know, doing the head to toe assessment, like was fucking, like I just went like dumb the entire time. So, so yeah. Dave, there's this saying that uh, whenever you're whenever you're under stress, you, you resort to um, your your highest level of training, your last level of training. So, what what was that like? Did you kind of feel like you were prepared for it when you had your first time? Did you get tunnel vision? Was it all a blur? What, what was it like for you on that? Yeah, mass I kind of like stupid for a little while. It was a tunnel vision, and then uh, the guy puked all over me. But I saved his life, and like it was literally just like controlling an arterial bleed in his humerus, where he just took a, a shitload of shrapnel, tourniquet on it, and everything. But I remember him looking at me and me and him making eye contact, older Iraqi man, and all of a sudden just like vomiting all over me. I was like, 
it's like they didn't teach you that in core school or like field medical training battalion it's like it was like that was it and so understanding like this is reality and not a video game or a movie or anything like that like that was uh that was it and so i remember reading the special operations medical handbook every single day after that point and that being my bible i was just like it may happen it may not happen but just being prepared enough to have just a little bit of knowledge a little bit of knowledge will take you a long way and like if you can train your guys to do that too and i was the fmf corpsman um then it's going to carry you through the entire like maybe deployment mission or saving someone's life if you didn't know and you, but you had the time to like at least study some of this shit then uh you're fucking up you are especially when you're downrange because it's not that's not the time to learn it is sometimes but it's like that time whenever like shit hits a fucking fan that's not the time to uh figure stuff out all the time you know, you know what I'm saying? It's it's a time to react, right? Like, you, you've already learned everything you're going to have. It's time to react. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I have, like, a deep respect and love for uh, Marines and reconnaissance Marines now. But still, like, that was that was it. You know, like, that was my life. That was my life for one year. You know? and So, Dave, real quick, between you three, you got some heavy hitters here. I mean, all three of you guys have seen heavy, heavy combat. What do you think, Dave, when it comes down to saving somebody's life? You've heard about, you know, people say it's a lot easier to take a life than save a life. What, what do you think about that? I'm the, the healthcare provider. I'm their brother. Like, I'm their caretaker. I'm there. Like, whenever they're off their, their balance, like, whenever, like, their baseline or anything like that, you can read them. You can start reading people and their, their mannerisms, how they talk, how they carry themselves. You know how their family is you you understand every aspect of that human being so this is deeper for you it's, it's beyond yeah. just helping your guys on the battlefield yeah. you're you're concerned with it's your guys on and lifestyle. off on and off the job yeah. friendships relationships this is it's bigger than for you as a corpsman for me it's a passion it really is it's a fucking passion and uh you know i i love doing it it's uh it's important to me because like if i didn't find this job i probably wouldn't still be in the navy and not discrediting the Navy at all, but like I had to find my my niche and like my sport to play, if you will, and uh, having a, like a deep passion for these guys and who they are, what they stand for, how they carry themselves with a purpose. Um, it means a lot to me, and like to be able to just care for them is is a privilege. It really is. Thanks, Dave. I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, I want to go over to Bobby real quick. Uh, Bobby, can you tell us about what led you into the Marine Corps, um, how you ended up going into recon, and what led you um, to going to the recon training center? All right. So uh, so what led me into uh, the Marine Corps? All right. So I, uh, I graduated high school, and uh, at the time, I was living in uh, the Las Vegas area. So, And that was in 1997. So... A lot of you young bucks probably don't remember this, but there was a there was a huge boom, uh, not only in Las Vegas, but it was real big in Las Vegas for housing, and houses were going up at the rapid. All right, just tons and tons of building. So at that time, if you were a guy and you just graduated high school, you probably went into construction. So I did. I, I went into construction and I became a uh, finished carpenter. Uh, it was actually a buddy of mine, a really good friend of mine in high school. 
Uh, his dad was a contractor, and he was a Finnish carpenter. So he taught us everything. He brought us on the job site, started teaching us, and we started getting paid. And uh, we got pretty good at it, me and me and my buddy. And uh, we started our own company, like after after a year. And we it was called Trim Tech, uh, Trim Tech Finnish Carpentry. And we started we started getting work. And uh, at the time, I know this sounds pretty horrible, but we made way too much money for 18-year-old kids. Uh, and we didn't know what to do with it, and the business fell apart pretty quickly. Um, and at the time, I, I was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. So I was driving by the recruiting office. know nothing about the military at all. I walked inside the recruiting office. You guys probably know. They probably look the same way uh, from 20 years ago. Uh, there's, you know, an office for the Navy, an office for the Army, you know, all the offices. And I and I went around and uh, no disrespect to other services, what I'm about to say. But I uh, I started going around the offices and and every it was like a used car sales lot. Like, this is what I could offer you. And, oh, we got this over here. And you see the sign, you know, and and it, it just kind of turned me off because I was older. I wasn't I wasn't, you know, a kid kid, you know, just out of high school. How old were you at the time, Bobby? 20. I was 20. Yeah. And uh, so, so I, I was kind of fed up and I, I was leaving and I was passing an office and I looked into it and there was in this office, there were no posters. There was no posters on the, actually there's one right behind this guy sitting at a desk. There was nothing else in the room. And, and I was like, Hey, what is this? And he's like, this is the Marine Corps. And I was like, what? what can I do? You know, cause I, you know, I was just kind of lost. I just went through the, the gauntlet of, you know, recruiters and he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, something that I can't do in the real world. And he's like, and he had a poster and I've seen the poster still, you know, some, in some of the old buildings still there. And it was the guy and he had cami paid on like, like Arnold Schwarzenegger in commando. If you know that movie. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he had a, he had a, a rope around his body and an M16 with a 203 on it. And it was a, like a real dark poster. She was hanging yeah, room. You guys see, you have yeah, seen yeah. that one. And and I was like, well, what's... How about that right there? And he's like, the infantry. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. And uh, so I, I, took the, I took the test. I forget what it was. It was such a long time ago. But I remember taking a test, um, filling in, you know, bubbles on a sheet of paper. I'm sure it's all computer now. Uh, I did some pull-ups, I did some sit-ups, and and he was like, all right, well, you're good. And a, a lot happened during that weekend. It was like a Thursday, a lot happened. Um, but he he told me that day that there were no contracts for infantry. And that Monday, he goes, are you ready to go? He called me. And I was like, yeah. And I got on a plane, I went to MEPS. And from MEPS, I got on a bus and I went to boot camp. So it was like three days from the time I went to the recruiter, I was in boot camp. And when I was, and some of you guys probably know what I'm talking about. So I was on the bus uh, going to boot camp and I was sitting next to kids and, and they were like, Hey, do you, do you know your fourth general order? Do you know, uh, do you know the rank structure? You know, do you want, you want to study with me? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about right now. And I didn't, you know, because all these guys knew. And you still don't. Yeah. And I <laughs> I really don't know the rank structure right now. So, no, just kidding. And uh, so, so 
it was kind of rough when I went to boot camp because all these kids like studied it and everything. And I would have to like stay up late and figure out, you know, what my general orders are and things like that. Uh, but it, it all, it all evened out. Um, another rough thing for me in boot camp was running. I never ran. You know, I, I, I was, I skateboarded and snowboarded my entire life. I was never, you know, athletic really. Uh, when I, we started running, I think we did a mile and a half the first time. I was like, holy crap. This is something right here. Uh, but it all buffed out, and here I am. So, uh, Bobby, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Direct Action Apparel? Because you not only are an active-duty Marine, but you have your own company, and uh, you got some freaking awesome apparel. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing with that, how you got started. Um, go ahead, Bobby. All right, so uh, Direct Action Apparel, so... When, how it started was I was uh, I was working at the Recon Schoolhouse uh, with Ryan Burke and and Dave Reinhardt sitting right next to me now and um, we 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 kind of were getting just crappy stuff like because uh, you know students get um, get gear to wear instructors get all their gear gear to wear and it was just really crappy you know the the print was kind of crappy and the material you know wasn't really nice material and and I, I'd, I'd probably say we were probably getting ripped off when it comes to pricing. So I was, I was kind of the one that was put in charge of like, hey, fix this system. So I found a place to start doing our stuff. I actually found a guy. And, um, and we did a run with that. And it was a little better. And it was definitely less money. Uh, but that wasn't good either. So I, I found another place. And, and then we did that for about four months and I was like, you know what? I could probably do this and make this a really good thing for the schoolhouse. You know, take care of them, and and it could be a fun thing for me. You know, a, a, a business. So I did that. I got a, I got a business license and made up Direct Action Apparel, and uh, and the schoolhouse liked it. All the guys liked the gear and everything. And then I was like, you know what? Why don't I'm going to start doing my own brand stuff? So started making my own logos and everything, and. Uh, I mean, the, the bottom line is, it is, for me, it's really, really rewarding um, to be, you know, an entrepreneur and to create things and have people, you know, like those things, you know, and, and want to purchase those things and, uh, and meeting people like, like Jason, you know, uh, and, and, and the people that, I, that I've met through Instagram and, you know, some of you guys are, are those people, you know, I've met you through Instagram, I probably DM'd with you or seen you at uh the socom athlete event um it's it's a really rewarding thing and and i i'm trying to get more military units on board with it so that more military units could uh could have great gear you know not crappy gear uh and and pay less for it not even saying this because he's my friend like is he? i don't have friends not your friend i'm not your friend <laughs> right, Dave? Right, Dave. um they're good t-shirts they're just like comfortable you know, I've been in so many courses where like you have to buy this shirt to graduate kind of mindset. And I'm like, cool, dude, I'm spend $35 and it's a crap t-shirt. So Bobby, if these guys want to find you on Instagram, they're interested in uh, talking to you or checking out some of your apparel. How do these guys find you? So on, on Instagram, you can find us at uh, direct underscore action underscore apparel. Uh, and what you'll see is, you know, in the, in the little circle, you see a little black circle and it has a skull with some wings and it says direct action under it. Um, you'll find, I mean, everything we put out, 
Uh, anything new that comes out, I post it up there immediately. Uh, say if it's available, we'll put it in the story. Um, we'll advertise. You know, sometimes I'll have some SoCom athlete stuff on there. And then for our uh, our actual website is directactionapparel.com. Uh, and you'll see that once you go into the bio on uh, on Instagram. Check Bobby out on Instagram. Awesome apparel for a great price. Giving back to the community. Uh, support the recon community. Check out Bobby. Um, want to bring on another guest. Uh, this is HM3 Eldridge Jones, and he is at Recon Training Center as well. And I want to let him uh, just kind of talk about his background a little bit and uh, what led him to RTC and what he does now. So thanks for coming on with us tonight, Eldridge. Really appreciate it, my man. Of course, no problem at all. Um, like you said, my name is uh, HM3 Jones. I got my start in intensive care or critical care at Balboa Naval Medical Center. I worked in the ICU for three years before I got to go with 1st Marine Division actually practicing my craft when it comes to tactical combat casualty care. Uh, and once I was there, I worked with First Light Armored Reconnaissance went on deployment, became an, an educator. I instructed in combat trauma management. And then soon after, I got transferred over to the School of Infantry West where most of our guests here today work in started working with Dave and went along to be a part of the reconnaissance training company uh, family. And while I'm there, I practice medicine, I educate in medicine. I'm their TCCC instructor, tactical combat casualty care. And I also handle all of the admin and logistics for our reconnaissance students, the students that are training to uh, become SARCs, if you're a corpsman, or reconnaissance Marines. And also taking care of the staff as well. Thank you, Eldridge. Really appreciate it. Um, so we have quite a few African-American listeners out there, Eldridge, uh, that are interested in special operations, training for special operations. Um, as an African-American yourself, can you give any advice um, to our students out there in the African-American community that are training to become special operators, maybe getting ready for the Recon Training Center? Um, what advice would you give? Um, if you could go back in time and tell yourself something before you went in. Definitely, absolutely. The advice that I would give myself and the advice that I would give to the young women and men, because uh, women and men can both uh, be a part of this right, community, right. would be to continue with the path that you have set forth for yourself. It takes perseverance. This, this training, not all of it comes easy to everyone. We all have different backgrounds when it comes to our physical fitness and our training and what we're experienced with. So whenever you sign up for a difficult high-risk task like this to be a part of the reconnaissance company, you have to do your due diligence and train for it. None of it is going to come easy for you. A lot of African-Americans struggle when it comes to the amphibious portion of the training, right? When we're talking about treading, we're doing bottom samples, or even the 500 or completing a PST, your, your physical training test that you actually have to go through and you have to be in the water. You have to practice. Practice makes perfect. And you can't give up on yourself if it's something that you want badly enough. There's no giving up. It's not a thing. So Elders, just talking kind of pure genetics here, you, regardless of, of race, um, where you come from, whatever it is, if you have high twitch muscle fiber ratio versus slow twitch muscle fiber ratio, you got a high bone density, high muscle mass, you're going to sink in the pool. 
And if you have a deep pool or you're in deep water and you're sinking, that's a terrifying thing. It's terrifying because you know you're going to drown. So you have to be able to keep yourself up above the water. So understand that if you are low body fat, high muscle mass, high bone density, high fast twitch muscle fiber ratio, you're going to be a sinker. So you got to be great at treading water. Work hard on it. Get that egg beater kicked down because once you get that confidence, nothing is going to stop you as a great athlete. If we can do it, you can do it. Um, Eldridge, really appreciate you coming on the podcast, my man. Um, I want to get back to talking a little bit about Hell Day, guys, because I had the honor of having these three gentlemen out at this event um, as Recon Training Center instructors coming out. Um, I just want to ask them what they think about this event as a whole. So we started off with the fitness test, and this is a PFT PST pass test. You got a 1.5 mile run, you got a 500 meter swim test, push ups, pull ups, sit ups for time. Students that are going for Army career fields, beginner swimmers, maybe going for TACP, career fields that don't require water based training in their selection, have the option of not doing the swim or doing a 250 yard swim. So after that's complete, the fitness test is done. Take the students down to Trestles Beach, get them wet and sandy, get the logs on over their heads, get the logs on their shoulders. They got rubber training rifles. They're going through amphib phase, instructor gauntlets, getting a little piece of this, having to memorize the recon creed for those that are going recon, memorize the ranger creed, first stanza for those going ranger, memorize the pararescue creed, got to recite in front of their team. The ultimate goal of the event is to provide a day of simulated training so a day of BUDS, BRC, SFAS, RAS, pararescue indoctrination, and one day where we are mentoring these students. So we had the honor of having these three gentlemen out for this course, and I just want to let them reflect on it a little bit. So uh, first of all, we got absolutely clobbered by a mob of mosquitoes. So we're like, so I think we're about what five hours into the event, right? Yeah, and and we. Yeah, so so we break up into what's called instructor gauntlets, and that's where you got ten minutes per station, and each instructor kind of gives you their piece. So you got knot tying station, open water swim, uh, log squats, bounding with the rifles, and then uh, what was the other one? I think it was um, I, I can't remember at this time. So Sprint. sprints, yeah. So bounding drills, right? So you got the fartlek run with uh, with Burke. So you got six different stations, ten minutes a piece, right? So we start off, and I got the students out in the water. And I notice I'm starting to get bit by mosquitoes. And I look up at the beach and like guys are doing this like funky thing with their <laughs> arms and their legs. I'm like, what's going on? You know, so it's 10 minutes of station. My guys come in from their swim. They're like doing parallel swim on the beach. They come in and I'm looking at Bobby and he starts running down from the rope corral station. I come up there and I notice that there's like more mosquitoes on me than I can imagine. There must be a thousand, I kid you not, a thousand mosquitoes. And Bobby comes up. You can tell this dude is a hardcore Marine, okay? So last thing he wants to do is come up and be like, hey, Jay, there's too many mosquitoes. We got to move. But there was so, <laughs> I, I've never seen anything like this in my life. There was so many mosquitoes that we actually had to stop what we were doing, go get the students, tell them to grab their logs, grab their gear, and ran them down about 500 yards north on the beach. Have you guys ever seen anything like that before? Dude, or the best part Is that like it, San Clemente standard, or what's going on? The best part about it is Bobby is sleeved out. You know, he has fucking sleeves from his fucking knuckles all the way up his back and his shoulders. You couldn't tell... Where the tattoo started <laughs> and the mosquitoes yeah. ended. That was the beauty behind it. And he like he comes out. He's like, "Hey, uh, bro, uh, 
we're getting uh, racked out by mosquitoes <laughs> so bad over here. He's like, I don't really know how to say it, but we got to get out of here, man. I, He's like, are you getting bit? And so I'm like, okay, dude, let me go run up to the other instructors as I'm like running like 50 yards down to Dave. And then 50 yards down to Hazel, I notice there's just this massive swarm of mosquitoes everywhere. And the students are just getting crushed. And so we get them, we move them farther north, and we're getting crushed the whole way. And we finally get to a spot where there's like no more mosquitoes. And uh, I, I mean, I, there must have been like maybe three or four around there. But finally, we got to a spot. We had to move them about uh, 500 yards north. It definitely wasn't as bad. It wasn't as Dude, bad. When I jumped in the ocean... I was like, yo, look how hard I'm being, dudes. I'm jumping in the ocean with you. Fuck that, dude. I was trying to get away from those mosquitoes. Dude, that, that, that was horrible. So we finally got away from the uh, mosquitoes. It's funny because the students that showed up to Sunday Development today, some it's not funny. It sucks. Some of these students got so many mosquito bites, their entire arm, their entire leg is red. You're talking thousands of mosquito bites. I, and they I'm were there for five right minutes. Now. Yeah, so uh, Hell Day, this particular Hell Day, featured a little bit extra stress. You got mosquito bites, you got uh, big rocks, all kinds of stuff. So let's recap from the beginning. Um, what did you guys think about, so, so these guys are civilians, right? They're civilians, they want to, and we got some military, we got some prior service active, but they have not actually gone into the special operations pipeline yet. What would you guys say was kind of the primary difference that you saw in these students as guys that are going through this pre-selection versus guys that are actually in the pipeline what what would you guys kind of say was the primary difference like do you see that they may be a little bit underprepared underdeveloped what did you guys see mindset. out there as as instruct mindset mindset yeah, is mindset. probably yeah. everything right there so the thing with the uh, mindset is like there's no perfect like uh template or uh recipe for fucking mindset but uh mindset like says it all and uh whoever you are like uh, purpose, gazelle you want to chase as a line, like that is it. Like why you want to do it, and it's not just because of like a half cut helmet and cry precision camis. Like that's fucking lame. Like you need to like learn and understand why the fuck you want to do this job as mindset. You know, so like do a personality test maybe. I don't know. Like as a grown man now, I understand it a little bit more. I was just like why I did certain things and just kept like subjecting myself to like the pain and torture. But mindset is it. It really is. It's like, you know, skinniest guy, shortest guy. I've seen guys just crush it. But, like, collegiate-looking athletes or Spartan-looking, like, people or, like, Ken Barbie dolls, it's like those are the guys who usually quit first. It's like the smaller dudes that, like, have that, like, uh, ability, that uh, umph, if you will, to just, like, push through adversity. And it's it's important. So mindset is all of not all it takes, but it's like physical fitness is a, a constant. I mean, can you pick yeah. up from there? Yeah, I mean, mindset or uh, physical fitness is a thing. Um, like, I'm an average sized dude, but like, I work out with dudes that have 100 pounds on me, and I have to maintain. Is I don't do. I'm not trying to like brag or nothing like that, but I don't do that for like my own personal gain. You know, I do it because I was like, all right, well, hey, my buddy over here, he has 100 pounds on me. Guess what? If he goes down on the battlefield. Guess who I now have to carry? My boy that has 100 pounds on me. It doesn't matter at that point. If I'm 100 pounds lighter than him, I got to get him out of there. But the mindset that you have is what's going to, is is what we're looking for, right? You can, you can always make someone stronger. You can make them faster, but you can't change their mindset on, do I want to be here? Is this what I'm going to do? Am I willing to do this job? That's what it boils down to. It's not a video game. If I get shot in the face right now, guess what? 
lights out. That's all. That's all that happens. I'm dead. In a video game, you reset, redo your mission, right? The mindset that of, I can't quit. I can't stop. I have to do this. I have to be stronger. I have to be faster. I have to be better at my trait. That's what we're looking for because there's no reset button. There's no start from the beginning. It's either do it or die. And Ryan, I know that um, operationally you had a, a, an experience early on in your career field that kind of got you ready for this. Um, w- would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about um, what we talked about earlier? Yeah, definitely. So there's a, there's, so I was on my uh, fourth deployment before I actually got into some like some combat. How, how old were you at the time? Uh, I was probably like 26, 27 years old. So I knocked out four. I was on my fourth deployment, you know. My very first mission, I got shot at. One of my dudes got blown up. I, I killed a dude. Uh, I got medevaced. On your, on your first very mission. First, very first combat mission in country. I experienced one, two, three, four. The big four, you know. Saw, saw one of my friends get hurt, took a life, got hurt, got medevaced, you know? It's like, those are the four, like, big things that you, you don't want. Uh, you, you may want it, but you don't want it kind of thing. Like, you want to do your job 100%, but you don't want to see your friends hurt. So I saw all that on my very first mission. And uh, missions after that, you know, I saw some of that also. Um, Ryan, real quick, was this like affirming to you when when you had that experience? Was it like this? This is what I need to do. I I I am at the right place at the right time. Was that affirming to you? Did you feel like that's where you belong? I felt like that's where I belonged. Um, I I felt like I trained up to that point. That that moment in my life is what I trained up to. But at the same time, I felt underprepared. You know, it was like I went through the hardest training in my life up to that point, and I still felt underprepared. I felt like I could have ran faster. I felt like I could have shot better. But that's that's just the, the situation that was thrown at me. And what we try to do going through these selections, through these pipelines, is try to simulate that as much as possible. And there's only been a couple of things that I've seen from, um, you know, getting pinned down mach- by machine guns to actual training that we can simulate. A couple of those things is um, in the deep end, taking that, taking that individual, throwing them in the water, and that individual might actually feel like they're actively drowned in. They don't understand that they have, you know, uh, essentially lifeguards on the side of the pool. They have instructors in the water there to make sure that they're safe at all times. They don't understand that. But that is one of the closer ways we can understand that guys are in uh, in a combat situation. So, Ryan, we talk about the rule of threes. The rule of threes being it takes three weeks, or excuse me, three three weeks of no food to kill you. Three days of no water to kill you. Three minutes of no air to kill you. So theoretically, when it comes down to what's going to kill you the quickest, it's not having any oxygen. So that's typically why you see these students get into self-preservation mode. And we talked about that at the hell day at the end. We talked about self-preservation mode. This phenomena where humans get into this panic mode where they are willing to destroy or consume anything possible to survive. You have to recognize that we all have that susceptibility to hit self-preservation mode and you have to break that tendency. Whenever you feel fight or flight, whenever you feel like you're going to die, that's when you have to be able to operate at your best. So it sounds like that was a situation, Ryan, where you you didn't necessarily think that you were ready for it, but you were in it and you had to react and you did it and you resorted to your highest level of training. Yeah, definitely. And, and it was definitely a highest level of training. 
I caught myself doing simple things like that I was taught in boot camp and I identified it and I was just like why the why the hell did I do that it was like, oh that was what we call trainism like I shouldn't I shouldn't have done that but in the end it's like well that was essentially the right thing to do for the situation but at the same time I was like well could I have done something better so uh, Dave um, Eldridge Ryan uh, Bobby I'd like to hear you guys all opinion uh, kind of seems to be universal in the career fields. Guys are pretty hard on themselves, right? I mean, we're 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 our own worst critics. Would you guys say that's a pretty important trait of an operator to be your your own worst critic, or what oh, do you guys say? You think you beat yourself yeah. up a little bit too much, or what do you guys think about that? Oh, it's constant. It's constant, and at every level, like fitness, knowledge, friendship, family. I mean, shame. Every, everything. I have a public shame. You want to share huh? that story? I I don't have the shame. <laughs> so Bobby was one of my instructors back in the day and he public shamed me like, <laughs> in front of the entire class okay uh, what happened there what happened there uh, I failed patrol phase I lost a compass which is like stupid it was my fault uh, would you just have a lot going on or what sure just a ton going on you know I just like, was, no, like sleep, yeah, no sleep just like missing a couple meals and it was like uh, a little bit emotional yeah, but uh, Bobby was there to like, like pick me back up, you know. In a way. <laughs> so it was like, uh, so I rolled into the next class and I had to redo everything, like the patrol phase all over again. So Bobby was your instructor. He was one of them. He wasn't my instructor. He was just one of the instructors. It was like I remember him teaching the class and talking about how cool and Gucci your gear should be. It's like you should like look in the mirror and like shake your rock as you're wearing it it's like okay yeah this should look good it's like taping up all your like uh your loose ends and everything like that and he talked about like his uh some story about grenades it's not important and like it's like irrelevant right now but it's like he uh he brought all the failures that rolled into the new class up to the front and he had us line up and like stand at attention and bobby what bobby did was like look at their eyes he's like they're fucking failures don't listen to anything they say and everything like that, and I was like, I looked at him, I was like, nah. Like, it was like, it was just like, fuck you. He, yeah, oh, it was a huge fuck you. But, loving this guy later, because it was public shame, and what that taught me was just a part of this community is that. It's not to shame someone, it's like, you feel guilty for what you've done, and you want to do better. So, like, I picked myself back up, and I've told my dad, I've told a lot of people this story, and it's like, it's a funny story, because it's like, me and him were like, some of the best friends now um he's we, we linked up and like we like tried to like start or you started the t-shirt company but it's like i love this dude to death but the fact that he did that that one day taught me something that i probably had never been taught before in my life you know it was uh it was shame you know you have to sh- it's not that you have to shame yourself but it's like he shamed me in front of the entire fucking community at that point in time at my point and, and life and training and uh if i didn't pass that course but i did i didn't even know that was it like i knew it's like from this point forward it's going to be something different you know it's like it's going to be like hey if you don't do 110 percent like that dude told me like senior chief now master chief retired um if you don't give 110 percent then what good are you you know yeah. It's not phys- physical fitness all the time. It's like mental attitudes, spiritually, emotionally, to these guys. It's like, if you don't give that, like, 110% every single fucking day, then you're kind of just not, like, 
Good. I guess the community. You know, last night we we gave the the students that wanted to go recon or ranger or pararescue. We gave them the assignment that they had to memorize the first stanza of the ranger creed, first stanza of recon creed, or the entire pararescue creed. So we made the students get wet and sandy. We line them up in formation. They're linked arms, toe-to-toe, water's edge, and one student has to get out in front of the entire team. They're cold, they're wet, they're tired, and they have to recite the first stanza of the recon creed. And there were some students last night that got it right. There were some students last night that failed it. And when they failed it, in front of their entire team, we made their entire team get down in the lean of rest while that student stood up. The entire team had to bear crawl down to the water and, and get punished because that individual student did not know the creed. Now, here's the thing. We respect these students for putting in the work uh, to memorize that creed. They haven't even joined the military yet. Or some of them are in the military, but they haven't cross-trained their career field yet. So we have respect for them for putting in that work. But if you do not have the ability to recite that creed under stress in front of your team, you are not going to be able to do it in the pipeline. So we try to teach you that now. And there were some students that failed it. And so they had to deal with that shame. So, Dave, what do you think about last night at the Hell Day? You saw some students that got the creed, didn't get the creed. What do you think about that? You saw some students getting that, that shame. What about it? I mean, it, it's good. Like, uh, because it teaches you respect to what you're, like, walking into. It really does. You're, this is a fucking job interview. If, like, you guys don't understand this, it's a fucking job interview every day. Every single fucking day. It really is. You know, even now, being, like, uh, a little bit older in the community, like, I go up and, like, I I have to, I don't have to. I don't have to do a fucking thing. But what I do is, like, push myself to these guys, and it's a fucking job interview. Like, but if you can't recite a creed of, like, what we stand for, our principles, our values, and everything like that, then you're, like... Who are you coming to us? Like, you're trying to come into the fucking tribe. Period. If you can't recite anything and, like, understand it, then, like... How, not, ba- not a fucking how bad do you like, really want to be here? Yeah, how bad do you really want to be here? Is it just, a, like, a job? Or is it like, a, a check in the box for you? It's like, cool. And, and that goes off of, like, just our lifestyle. <clears throat> that goes off our lifestyle. Like, Dave and I have done, like, three extreme physical challenges together. And it's like, have, have essentially, like, on paper, have we made it, have we made it in our community? 100%. Guess what? I'm a fucking reconnaissance marine. He's a Sark. Like, it, on paper, we've made it. But guess what? That doesn't mean shit today. Like, what are you doing for me tomorrow? Dave and I have, t- together, have pushed ourselves to physical limits where we come out of the ocean, our bodies are cramped, our fucking bodies shutting down. And it's like, dude, like... I'm 33 years old. I've been in the Marine Corps 14 years. I've done like five, six deployments. Like, why am I doing this? Why is Dave doing this? Why is Bobby doing this? Like, cool, bro. Like, but what are we doing right now? Like, no one gives a shit what you did yesterday. No one gives gives a shit what you did 14 years ago. Congratulations. You graduated BRC 16 years ago. Cool, bro. You, you went to ARS. Guess what? ARS isn't around anymore, dude. What are you doing for me right now? Right. That's, that's how I, and, and I know it's, the other communities too, but recon and you know PJs and SEALs. I, I I haven't been there, but I'm pretty sure it's the same. Where just like Ryan said, you know, like and I and I've seen it. You know, guys that that try to ride out their career on on one event, you know, 
hey, I'm I'm the guy that shot this, you know, or and they try to ride that out. It doesn't work out. But you were the guy for a while. No. Never. No, I was never yeah. that guy. <laughs> I was never you that you guy. built yourself up. Yeah. That, yeah. So it, you, you got you got to just keep it going, you know, like keep on doing those things every single day. So, fellas, uh, students from Hell Day yesterday requested a debrief from y'all. So, starting with Ryan Burke, if you wouldn't mind just kind of debriefing the night, uh, giving some advice on maybe some failures you saw, some positives, some lessons learned, any recommendations for these guys as a whole. Yeah, definitely. All right. So, one of the, one of the very first events that stood out to me, right? So. Every every operator on every level, guess what? He has to run some sort of distance. That got it. He has to push the earth down for push-ups, you know, however many times. He has to do however many pull-ups. He has to do that, right? But this is where the divide comes is as soon as we got in the water. Like, I heard a couple guys go in Army or Green Beret like, oh, I'm an Army dude. Like, I've never trained to this. Guess what, dude? Biggest amphibious invasion in the in America's history is D-Day in Normandy. Guess what those rangers did? Yeah. They climbed up mountains. Yeah, they climbed yeah. up cliffs from boats. Do you think those dudes said, "Oh well, hey man, like I don't like swim." Can't swim today. Can't, can't swim today. Like not not me, right? Not me. Is, is, I heard that's like a saying and, somewhere. And every operator right. is going to be flying around a helicopter. So every operator will be over the water at one point. Every operator will be doing some type of amphibious training, amphibious, uh, any type of mission statement. You have to be ready to survive in the water. Yeah, what, whether it be for 10 minutes or 20 minutes, you have to be able to survive. So it's not too much to ask, regardless of what career field you're going for, survive in the water. Show confidence to some degree in the water that you can at least stay alive. And it wasn't just the water. That just kind of like sparked my thing. Like these dudes assume that they're not going to have to get wet at some point and they're going to have to get water. It's like, all right, well, guess what? I might be a PJ. Well, all right, my job is to provide medical aid. Or I'm a SART. My job is to provide medical aid. Well, guess what, bro? You're a shooter before you're a medic. Like, guess what? Guess what the best medicine on the battlefield is? Bullets downrange. Bullets downrange. Fire, down range, fire, fire superiority. superiority. That's, a, that's a first step of TCCC, right? Yeah. Return fire. Fire superiority. Yeah. Right? So guess what? If you're focused on that's not my job, guess what, bro? You're not going to be a successful operator. You're going to get yourself fucking killed. You're going to get... Actually, I take that back. You're not going to get yourself killed. You're going to get somebody else killed. Because yeah, guess what? The guy yeah. who runs, the guy who cowards, the guy who says, I didn't train for that, he's going to be the first one to cower and hide. He's going to get the book deal because guess what? He's the only one who's going to survive. Amen so. to that. Bobby, what do you think, man? What What would be your your debrief on the students? I mean, you spend a lot of time dialoguing with these guys, kind of being the nice guy as the instructor a little bit, but you also hammered good these cop. guys a little bit too. I'm good the, cop, I'm bad the good cop. cop. Uh, uh, what was your take on it? So I, kind of going back to the, the mindset piece is – I, I know you might be in high school, just graduated high school. You're not in the military, a lot of those guys, but take things seriously, you know, because I, I saw a lot of guys out there that, you know, this was a game in, until we started getting crazy on the beach. Then it wasn't a game anymore. But before that, you know, it was just kind of like, you know, I'm probably not going to do it this way, even though the instructor says to do it this way. Hey, you're there. You're trying to, you know, trying to see if this is for you. Play by the rules, listen to the instructors, that's what they're there for, and do what you're told. You know, because if if you carry that on, and now you're in the, the real world, you know, recon training center, or, you know, uh, 
wherever you whatever uh, avenue you take, it's not going to work out for you. You know, you're not you're not laughing with instructors. You're not stopping when you need to stop. Like you're there at SOCOM Athlete for you know that one day or two days. Put out, figure it out. Is this for me or not? Amen, Bobby. Thanks, brother. Uh, Dave, do you have any uh, debrief on yesterday? Anything you saw? that uh, you would like to give advice on these guys, improvements, positives, negatives, advice to the team leaders, anything like that? No, I'm proud of all of them, to be honest. Uh, I wasn't there the entire time, but like seeing the fact that people just showed up, that's the first fucking step, is showing up. Regardless if you're out of shape, you're fat, you're weak, you don't know how to swim. Well, you know, some some of these students were so nervous that they were throwing up before they showed up to Hell Day. And I asked, I said, guys, you know, like who's nervous here? It's a survival fucking factor. Yeah. It really is. It, yeah. And it's like, I think... Uh, that means great. it means something to you. It, it means, means something, something to you. Yeah. And you the, care. The, the fact that they stuck it all the way to the, the end of the night, regardless if they performed well, performed poor, they learned something about themselves. That's data collected, period. And so I really feel that, like... I'm I'm fucking proud of them. I feel that that is a value that they'll never fucking forget. Period. And uh, if you want to like dive a little bit deeper than that, just fucking like ask me. Uh, but like this data collected, I'm proud of them. Good on everyone that showed up and like uh, pushed through, regardless of whatever like community you want to go into. Like uh, it's I'm proud. I wish I would have had something like this when I was like a young kid before I joined the military. Gentlemen, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight. We're going to start wrapping it up here. I want to go around the horn real quick. Um, I want to hit Eldridge. want to hit Bobby, uh, Dave, Ryan on if there was one piece of advice that you could give yourself before you went in, what would it be? Let's start with Eldridge and we'll go around the horn. The first piece of advice that I would give myself before I went in is... To one, realize that there isn't such a thing as giving up. It may be a good thing, it may be a bad thing that we afford these young men the opportunity to DOR, drop on request. It's great because it weeds out the population of who wants to be here and who doesn't want to be here. It separates them. That way we can have peak performance players go into this community that are ready or that we can develop to get them ready. But if there was one piece of advice that I could have given myself whenever I started down this road of critical care and emergency medicine, taking care of people in hostile environments and during very trying times and situations was you cannot give up. There's no such thing here back home. It's really easy to get done with an oper a training operation and then sip some water, take your time out, take a breath and then go back into doing whatever it is that you need to be doing to get yourself ready for a deployment, if, if you will, if we're going with that scenario. When push comes to shove you're in that real scenario, that real situation, it's game time. There is no giving up. There is no break. For some reason, the generation of students that we're getting in right now think that it's going to end, you know, there's an end to it. We're going to stop and we're going to be okay. And it's not as soon as you think it is. You're going to have to push harder every single day, every single time you have no limits. The human body is a great machine. It's the best machine that we have. 
it diagnoses itself and it fixes itself. You can push past any limit that you set for yourself, but any limit that you have is the one that you set for yourself. Realize that it doesn't exist. There is no limit. You can always push past what you thought was your actual limit. It's called perseverance. You cannot give up. There is no giving up when it really comes to these these real scenarios where you have to save somebody's life in a gunfight or actually work hard, really, really hard, giving your all to complete a mission. So that would that is the advice that I would give myself. Realize that there's no giving up. This is what you signed up for. This is what you have to do. This is what you jo- your job is. You have the capability to do it. Now it's time to actually put the work in. There's no giving up now. Thanks, Eldridge. And to caveat on that, we talked to our students about that mindset of you saying you cannot give up. It's not an option anymore. A lot of the students have this phrase. And it's okay. We said it when we were going through the pipeline too. It's never quit. Well, if you're focusing on never quit, you're focusing on, I don't want to quit. I don't want to quit. Well, you're thinking about quitting. So we teach our students to not focus on what you don't want to do, but to focus on what you got to do. So it's not about thinking about not quitting. It's about thinking about passing. And I'm not a father, but God willing, I will be a father someday. And I can only imagine that I'll be telling my son or my daughter the same thing, you know, like, Instead of telling them, like, don't eat those cookies out of that cookie jar, I'm going to tell them, stay away from the cookie jar. I'm going to tell them what I want them to do. I don't want to tell them what I don't want them to do. And we see that with our students. you got to tell the students what you want them to do. Otherwise, they focus on what they don't want. You get the target fixation, right? You guys have all done halo jumps. You've been out in Yuma, Arizona, Eloy, Arizona. you got those saguaro cacti out there. You're coming in. you got 15, 17 nautical mile per hour winds coming against your parachute. You see one of those saguaro. You say, I don't want to run into that cactus. I don't want to run into that cactus. And you start steering into that cactus, right? It's target fixation. So you got to focus on that spot where you want to land. Block out the negative. Focus on the positive. So, Elger, great point, man. And thank you for coming on the podcast, man. God bless. Of course. Thank you. No problem. Um. Dave, what do you think, man? Uh, to be humble. I mean, like, but Dave, what is what does being humble mean to you? Humble. humble. It's like a good like. <laughs> what's that word mean? It's like it's, it, it's a tough it's word a to define. Yeah, you know, but what let's, that, let's talk about mean? like being humble. Okay. It's, not, it's on a lot of t-shirts. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it really is. A lot down. of like quotes. It's like uh. Up. <laughs> Kendrick said it himself. Insinuate or like uh, describing what humble is. So being humble to me is learning where the fuck you came from, period. You know, from the roots. Amen. From the roots to uh, where you are now and where you're going to be. And like also being able to go back to that. There's a lot of like really humble and respectful like leaders that i've met in my life you know whether it's army sf you know uh, marine recon just regular navy regular army regular marines like there's a lot of really good mentors that i've had growing up but being humble is understanding where the fuck you came from you know from like birth to here obviously you can't remember a lot of it but it's like your childhood and it's like understanding where the fucking dollar comes from period Thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. Ryan, what do you think, man? One piece of advice that you would have given to yourself as a young man before you came in, if you were getting ready for special operations. The main thing I would probably say is the why. So 
this might sound weird because obviously I did it. But all I knew was I needed to do this. But I didn't understand the why behind it. So that's my that would be my piece of advice. And what do I mean by that? Right? Uh, I heard this saying, and this is when it really stuck to me. And it was, you know, 13, 12, 13 years into my career. Is when someone said it to me, and I was like, that is why. That's the why behind it. And uh, it was uh, a gentleman who was talking to the class, and he says, uh, think about being an old man in a rocking chair. So you're 70 years old. You have, you know, children. Your children have children. So you have grandchildren. Your grandchildren come see you on your front porch. You're rocking in your rocking chair, drinking your sweet tea or your bush light, whatever suits you. And he asks you, Dad, or excuse me, Grandfather, what was it like being in the military? Now, what do you tell them? That I quit when the times got hard? Or sitting back in your rocking chair saying, I did what only 1% of the military can do. Definitely. So think about it like this. Only, what is it, like 1% of the U.S. population joins the military. Of that U.S. 1%, only 1% of the military joins special operations or somewhere along those lines. So if you're 70 years old, you look back. What do you want to tell your What do you want to tell your grandchildren that I quit, or that I did what one percent of the one percent can do? So it's funny you bring that up, Ryan. I got some stats here. Um, there's about three hundred and thirty million people in the United States. One point three million of those people are active duty. Two point four million are guard or reserves, and we've got about eighteen million veterans in the world right now. You guys take a, a guess. How, how many countries do you guys think there are in the world right now? What was that, 164 or something Yeah, pr- like that? Pretty, pretty close. Uh, yeah. We're around 195 countries in the world. U.S. military is occupying over 150 of those countries. Okay, There are about 3,000 SEALs in the military, 800 SWIC, 2,300 EOD personnel, and 300 SARC. We've got about 6,300 personnel in Navy SOFT. In the Air Force, you got about 500 PJs, 500 combat controllers, 250 special reconnaissance personnel, and about 1,200 TAC-P. So that makes about 2,500 for Air Force soft. On the recon side of the house in the Marine Corps, about 500 recon, 1,500 raiders. So you got 2,000 soft personnel in the Marine Corps. In the Army, 3,500 rangers, 7,000 Green Berets. 7,000. That brings Army Soft to 10,500. That means there's 21,350 Special Operations Forces, which is 0.89% of our entire military, less than 0.1%, which equals 0.006% of the entire country's population. That's what you're dealing with here, 0.006%. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight. God bless you guys. It was an absolute honor to have you guys out at the Hell Day and an honor to be a part of your community at the Recon Training Center. For those of our listeners out there, if you enjoyed the podcast, please consider giving us a five-star review. Check us out on Instagram at SOCOM Athlete. Check out Bobby at Direct Action Apparel. Um, check out the Basic Reconnaissance Course at uh, Basic Reconnaissance Course on Instagram. This is your host, Jason Sweet. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, we are out.
Thank you. Up. Up. Down. Move. 